Blog Talk Radio. Straight Talk Radio, where we talk about all sorts of things like technology and business, politics, and culture. This is Donya Keating. I'm your host live from the Seattle area at about 2 p.m. Pacific Time on Thursday, March 5th. Listeners, dialing 646-378-0261 will patch you right in for live on-air questions or comments. Raise your hand by pressing 1 on your keypad, and there's a chat option, though you might want to open a Blog Talk Radio account first so it works for you. So this afternoon, all right, so... Leonard Simon Nimoy. He died on February 27th. Obviously a beloved actor, a film director, a poet, singer-songwriter, and a photographer. He was known by many as Mr. Spock of the Star Trek franchise and uh, kind of a rather sad and profound loss, really, um, of a very impactful person on the Earth plane. I mean, I mentioned on my personal Facebook page that I met him in New York City years ago, which, you know, as I also mentioned, it wasn't being touted as a big big deal or anything because you see or interact with quote unquote celebrities all the time in the Big Apple. And uh, New Yorkers, what I so love about them really is that they're unfazed about this sort of thing. So, you know, in a former life, our firms represented a significant roster of celebrities and, and famous people and leaders or powerful people or whatever. So you just, I think over time, you just don't see them the same way the average person might. So, Anyhow, it was a brief conversation with Nimoy, nothing earth-shattering or splitting the atom. It was just a chance meeting. I didn't really approach him for an autograph or anything. We just happened to be at the same event. And um, he was just very gracious, and he was a generous uh, person. He had, you know, gave his time. He was intelligent. He was witty. He did all of those things that you would typically expect um, of someone of his caliber. And uh, it just goes without saying that. He's really going to be missed uh, in this world and certainly not forgotten by many, many, many people. So Charles is with me today. Hello, Charles. Are you out there? I am out here. Hello, hello. Uh, he, you are a Trekkie, a fellow Trekkie. Not that that's all we're talking about today, but what are your thoughts about uh, Leonard Nimoy? Well, I, I think he was uh, obviously an inspiration in terms of what he represented. He represented... I think the triumph of logic and reason and technology over backwardness in a lot of ways. And I think that his inspiration, I, I think Star Trek represents so much more than just a sci-fi show. It was like the de- definitive sci-fi show of its time. In fact, so many things now we compare like, is this technology now available? Look, we, we, we envisioned this in Star Trek, and now it's real. So, I mean, it was so far way ahead of its time, um, considering it was back in the 60s that they made the first shows. I mean, it was 64, 65 when they were producing these shows. And so it was really revolutionary. And it, and it, and it wasn't just about technology, but it was about, you know, human dynamics and evolution and how would we, as if we were a superior race meeting somebody, how would we treat them? How would we treat you know, or, or deal with if we encountered a race much more superior to us? I mean, it just had all these different dynamics that were part of the show. And, of course, you know, Spock and Leonard Nimoy's character, 
was kind of, he, he had that role of science officer that was really a key role. It wasn't just, you know, the, the traditional captain running out and doing things. It was people looked to Spock and, and the role that he played in logic and understanding. And I think it was just kind of a, it was like a meme that represented progress. And I think that's what a lot of people represent when they think about Spock. They think about not just logic and intellect, but they, they think about, you know, progress and where we, you know, want to go as, as a species. Not that it's completely without devoid of emotion, as we knew. Spock had emotion. He just didn't show it. So I don't want to take that exactly. much, but that's not what's say. for me. <laughs> Yeah, exactly. And it, that was even about, you know, the, the everything that was the whole setup of Star Trek and all of the different stories and plot lines and arcs um, and characters and what they represented. I mean, it, it was it was very futuristic, uh, very foretelling, foreshadowing. And you think about, you know, just, you know, the, the Borg and the assimilation piece. And then Spock, like you said, where he was part of the Vulcan, which was a very logical um and scientific type of a, a, a group, but at the same time, he was quote-unquote mixed race because he was half Vulcan, half human, and all of that implied, you know, and just different choices, like you said, being able to have emotion, just chewing not, choosing not to show it, and for whatever reason, you know, so that you can get to the end point without the quote-unquote drama. And then, you know, the Ferengi, and I mean, there's so many different things that happen there, Um in terms of human dynamics that were actually being played out in that series that really do extrapolate out to society at large, especially even now. So it, it, it was a very interesting um, uh, show. And it, it, it will, and, and, uh, and the, the thing I like about, let's you know, since we're talking about Spock and, and Nimoy, is that he wrote the first book after he started doing the show, and it was I Am Not Spock. So for people that never read it, and they just looked at the cover of it. I mean, there are people that really kind of push back because they were like, you know, this guy is just, we love him so much and he's brought so much to us. And yet, you know, here we can, as, as far as we can tell from the, the title, he's rejecting that. And that wasn't the case at all, really. I mean, in the book, he was talking about the differences between himself and the character, but also the similarities. And then he, you know, five years later, I think it was, he wrote, I am Spock. And he sort of came full circle or he just kind of fleshed out the circle where he talked about how much the character has shaped his life since he was in character for so many hours of the day and days of the week and he said it actually helped him to become a more calm and logical and peaceful and caring person so in a lot of ways you know when you we were reading some articles when we started preparing for this and even at, right after he died and of course there's always somebody out there in the media or in the blogosphere or on social media or wherever that has to find a way to pick a fight and so this fight was Oh my God! You guys keep referring to him as Spock, and he's so much more than Spock. And you know, most of us already know that. Don't pick a fight. The bottom line is that this is something that actually even helped him, this character, to be a better person. Um, he was very much into a lot of different areas in his life. He was very caring. He was very embracing. He was very inclusive. And I, I doubt the last, you know, the, the, the last thing that either Spock or Nimoy would want is anybody out there trying to pick a fight about how someone didn't know or didn't recognize or, or you know, acknowledge him beyond his character. So I, I just thought that that was, you know, like you said, very prescient in terms of, you know, how people behave uh, when, when there's somewhat, so many other things that they could be doing instead. So I don't know. And it, 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 it was... I obviously didn't meet Spock outside of, you know, like you like you did. And I, I think I did go to Comic-Con conventions. I think I went to one, maybe two, you know, 
many, many, many years ago. And obviously, it would probably have been strange to run into Leonard Nimoy. And obviously, you can separate the man from the character, but that character was so strongly identified with him and was such a positive force or role model. I think, as he said, he wrote the book, I Am Not Spock, to basically, hey, remember, I'm a human being and I have all these other attributes beyond just Spock. And I think he wrote another book later that was, I am Spock. You know, it's kind of like saying, you know, I am and I am not this character, representing the fact that, you know, there there are attributes to this character that I think we all aspire to. And I think that was kind of cool. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, he was also political, too. I mean, I was reading a New Yorker magazine article the other day about um, how he struggled in the beginning with when he decided to be an actor. I mean, I think he started at like 17 is when he decided that he wanted to do this. And the turning point came for him when he um, was a cab driver. He was in Los Angeles, and he picked up a young John F. Kennedy to take him to the airport. And so apparently Kennedy said the competition for both you know political life and um celebrity status or acting they were harsh but he said that um there's always room for one more good one and that was what made Nimoy decide to stick with you know the acting because of you know what uh, JFK said about the competition being harsh so it, it was interesting and then he was also a photographer and obviously a, a poet and he was a singer and he was really in a lot of ways a, a, a renaissance man he was also a staunch uh he's a fem- feminist um great friends with William Shatner, of course, and he, you know, in terms of being forward-thinking, we talk about the 1960s. I mean, he actually helped get Uhura, you know, Nichelle Nichols of Star Trek, equal pay because he found out through Chekhov, you know, Walter Koenig, that um, she wasn't making as much as her male co-stars. So he found that out, took it up with the powers that be, and made sure she was paid fairly. So, you know, when you think about these days when nobody's willing to go out on the limb for you, especially if you're in, you know, Hollywood and you could be punished for that kind of thing, especially with the social media and how brutal it's become. And we talked about that in a prior show. But, you know, if you think about it in the 1960s for him to go out on the limb like that, I mean, it really says a lot about his character. Yeah, so the Star Trek show didn't just break ground in front of the camera, it broke ground behind the camera in so many ways. I mean, they truly were about busting boundaries, like like uh, O'Hara's character was the first interracial kiss on camera back in the 60s was between James Kirk and and Uhura. And so it's like they just broke all sorts of different boundaries. And I didn't know that about the equal pay uh, behind the scenes. And it wasn't just for women. It was also for Walter Koenig's character. It's like, wow. I mean, they just really – and I think also he represented something else, too. You think about it. Larry Nimoy was not what I would call your classically attractive guy. You know, right? I mean – you wonder, like, he played an alien, and he was different, but over time you kind of got used to the way he looked. At first, when I first looked at him, I was like, okay, he looks kind of odd. Okay, he's playing an alien, and it's not just the point years, but just his angular features and everything. But I think he also represented something that says, you know, that doesn't really matter so much when you're coming from such a place where your value, I mean, you know, him as a science officer, um, he just brought a whole other dynamic. And you look at some of those shows from way back in the day, there was so much that was just about the appearance of something, and they just didn't have the substance. It's, it's not surprising that something like Star Trek rose above its peers, not just because it was about something cool and different, but it was also their energy. They were really about breaking, breaking out and doing things that were important and different and new and challenging boundaries. Well, first of all, i got to say a couple of things, and that is that, 
Um, I've seen some pictures of him from when he was younger, and he, you know, I don't think he was an unattractive man at all. I mean, I think he was a little more angular as he got older, obviously, but I saw some pictures of him when he was younger, and he was very attractive. And as far as Spock, oh, my God. I mean, I think any woman with a brain was probably salivating over him at that point. I mean, there was a story, myself included, I mean, I was definitely a Spock fan, um, much more so than Kirk. And there was that one article that I had read before that said that remember the one we were talking about before we did the show where there he was at some kind of a college and some girl walked up to him and said some co-ed and said something about how he she hopes that he realizes that, you know, he was, you know, the fantasy of so many women or whatever. And he basically looked at her and said, may all your dreams come true, (laughs) because it was just like, wow, to hear that, you know, and. Even now, when you look at the the way that they remade the Star Trek, and you know, you and I were talking about Star Trek, and the the first one they came out with, where everybody was hot, it was like, oh my God, everybody in here is good looking. And uh, even the new Spock, I mean, when you started looking out on the internet and in all types of forums or whatever, they were certainly talking about how they love Spock. I mean, the women just love Spock. There's that certain you know, that intellect and that unapproachability and that little bit of a detachment and that kind of contained, you just feel like there's something inside of him that's just so powerful that's being deliberately contained, and I think that's very appealing. So um, I know that's just kind of a segue. But anyway, um, I was going to say that, um, you know, when talking about the different things that he did and how uh, forward-thinking he was and just, you know, he did that full-body project, which was in 2007. It was a book. Of photographs, and it had very provocative and sometimes nude images of plus size women. So he was trying to showcase the average American woman and what she looks like, and he was trying to push back against Hollywood's fantasy ideals. And so he, from that, received rave reviews and critics, but even the critics applauded his tasteful and respectful approach and the effort that he was um, undertaking to try to, you know, set things straight. So, um, yeah, and then what else did he do? He didn't just people talk about um, Star Trek, but he directed Three Men and a Baby with a movie with the three dads. Uh, I think that was Steve Gutenberg and Ted Danson and Tom Selleck and so many other things. Do you remember anything else that he did? I know that. Yeah, he he, he, he mentioned about how his family was blessed with talent, and I think it was one of his relations. You know, you know, found uh, Bruno Mars and different things. It was the was the person that discovered Bruno Mars and helped develop him. I think it was his nephew or something. But it was a stepson, or stepson, or something like that. And it was like, yeah, he was just very comfortable. It was just like he was on a radio show, and I just happened to tune in this radio show and like, man, you know, here's an interview of Leonard Nimoy. Okay, what? Well, what the heck? What's, what are they talking about? And he was just kind of talking to him about all sorts of different things and, and, and the thing that came across for me is just how comfortable he was you know he says what's not to like I'm sitting here on, on my uh, in my little my office uh, having a radio interview and then I'm going to hang up my phone I'm going to go sit on my um, on my deck and, and, and hang out and you know drink a drink and have fun and he was just, you know he was basically saying you know this is the good life he was really enjoying his life and I think it allowed him that flexibility, you know, his success to kind of explore different boundaries in different areas. And, of course, I'm sure his name obviously opened doors. You know, a lot of people go, Leonard Nimoy wants to do what? <laughs> sure, let's open some doors. I think that's absolutely, I mean, you, you want to see somebody who is a celebrity, but who takes a stance on something and says, 
let's see if we can do something kind of interesting or different that kind of explores and expands the human boundaries, the human dynamics. That was something else that I thought was interesting that the show did, is it didn't just represent new gadgets. You kind of, if I watched it, maybe I read too much into it, but I looked at, like, (laughs) they at one level portrayed kind of humanity evolved, and then as time went on, a lot of the stories kind of went back into, you know, yeah, people still are greedy and still people still have these issues and all that. But I kind of watched also the, there was kind of a veneer on humanity that said, you know, we're going to do certain things, but we're not going to do other things. And, you know, we weren't, you know, doing mass suicides and murders and different things. I think those were, I looked at that as kind of representative of pushing the boundary of humanity and seeing it evolve more. And Leonard Nimoy's character kind of represented that as well. As well, he kind of was the microcosm for representing that. And then you know, there's the whole Vulcan live long and prosper salute, where you raise your hand to form a V between your ring and middle finger with the thumb extended out. And so many of us know, but I guess some of us don't, that he didn't actually develop the greeting for Spock. It, it, it came from a Jewish ritual he witnessed when he was a boy. He was in this this benediction, and he talked about it, and he said that it was kind of a blessing that was performed by a rabbi for people that were observing this special occasion. And so he talked about how they, you know, some of the people were wearing a veil, some of them had their back turned to the rabbi some of them had their eyes covered because and he talked about the the vocal intonations and how passionate it, it was and how moved he was by it and it was just this really loud you know ceremony and he was just very intrigued by it and um he wasn't supposed to look but he did and so he peeked and when he looked he said he saw you know that symbol you know where they had their hands up and he just kind of took that um, the shin, you know, they, he was forming a shin, which is the Hebrew letter that begins words like Shaddai and Shalom or whatever. And so he wasn't even supposed to be looking, but he saw, he turned, he had some kind of an inspired thought to to look at that. And as a boy, and took that when he was doing um, Star Trek, and they were doing some scenes, and he said that they asked, you know, what should we do here as a symbol or whatever. And he introduced that, and it just took off immediately. And something that will he will be known and associated with for forever, you know, I think in a lot of ways. And so it's really kind of interesting that the, you know, Vulcan live long and prosper salute and, and to have the presence of mind um, when you circle back and think about I am Spock, I am not Spock, and, and how he so easily crossed back and forth into, you know, his life and his, his role uh, in bringing things back and forth across the line into those experiences. Yeah, and that, I just... I have a feeling that that can be like the Kilroy or something. You know, that that hand gesture is now part of the ISO standard and different things, and it representing, you know, live long and prosper. I mean, it's like here's a, he, he created a meme that will live who knows how long. You know, you, you could imagine, you know, two centuries from now, people using this hand gesture that was invented by, you know, a character in a TV show. <laughs> Leonard Nimoy came up with this. And it's going to live on way beyond him. It's kind of interesting to see that ripple. And, you know, there's always the, you know, every we, we're all, that's one thing about you know, life. We all know that we're going to get out of here dead. So, I mean, you know, but and my point to, to mentioning that is that when somebody dies, especially if they're a celebrity or they're somehow prominent in the news, whatever it was that precipitated or that caused their their, their death, becomes kind of the it becomes uplifted or upheld as as another and there's another message in that. So for instance, you know, when 
Robin Williams died, you know, it, 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 what he got people to talk about was not only him and not only the things, the many things that he did and the way that he impacted people, but we started talking more about suicide. We started talking more about Parkinson's, you know, and, and we started talking about those issues because they were related to him. So with Leonard Nimoy, uh, it's chronic obstructive pulmonary disease or what we know as COPD. Um, and it also brings up the subject of smoking because even though he stopped smoking about 30 years ago, he attributed his COPD to his smoking. And so when he, before he died, like a week before that, if not days, he had had extreme chest pains and he had been rushed to the hospital. And he came home and everybody, I guess, thought he was going to be okay, um, even though I think some people had said or some articles said he was kind of end-of-life COPD symptoms. And then he died, obviously, a few days later at his home. Um, but but it just, like I said, you know, the way that he went out starts to um, – you know, bring up the conversation of COPD and smoking, and you know, and those kinds of conversations have started to um, go around the blogosphere as well, or the internet about what to do and what not to do, and and stuff like that. So I, it seems kind of an interesting way to go, considering the way that he lived his life, and you know, the measured, logical, peaceful, calm, and it's like you you almost wanted to say, and you smoked really. So I, it's it's really sad because. I think he would have been with us a lot longer, and I think the world needed him. Well, I think that that smoking, he gave that up quite a long I mean, I guess it was after the original TV show, but it was not. It was like he probably cut it way back. I mean, it was way back that he had stopped smoking. 30 years. And it was interesting reading about the COPD and then him and Twitter. It is like as if you guys need one more reason not to smoke. Here's a good reason. <laughs> and Right, exactly. You know, just his clarity of just, you know, hey, guys, don't smoke. Here's why. And, you know, here's just one more good reason why not to smoke. And I, I think I'm, it's very, thank God there's fewer people uh, smoking now and, and people that would want to take up smoking. Uh, you know, here's a good reason why not to, like, once again. And, you know, I saw that, speaking of Twitter, I saw on your Facebook when he did die, um, the final message that he gave, and I don't know if he wrote it knowing that he wasn't going to be long of this world or if he just, you know, wrote it and it just turned out that way. But he had a really great saying that talked about, you know, life and, and comparing it to, you know, he, basically, I, I don't even have the quote in front of me. And I, if I was thinking, I would have done that. But basically, he just said that, you know, life is something that, you know, it's like a flower. You don't remember it unless, you know, it's in, it's part of the memory. So, you know, it's something that gets preserved, but it's not something that lasts forever. And, and you know, obviously he didn't last forever, and, and neither of us will either. But, you know, his memories, the memories of him, the things that he, he's accomplished in our society, um, and the energy and the messaging, I mean, it will certainly survive forever. Yeah, I, absolutely. It's just going to be – he represented a lot. He represented a lot. I mean, his – representing logic and reason and and I think he absorbed some of those traits into himself as a way of saying you know the discipline that is in, in, involved in that um, and how we treat each other I think he absorbed some of those lessons so when I see people you know giving the Vulcan salute or thinking about things I think it's a way of, of not only honoring the memory of him but also honoring the ideals that he represented and it's not that sure. he wasn't a human person with human failings. And, yes, nobody nobody alive is going to get out of here alive. We're, nobody's getting out alive. We're all going to die. 
at least until we invent immortality. And I think that was probably in one of the Star Trek episodes that we probably don't want to go back and revisit. <laughs> that would cause its own sets of problems. Um, but for now, nobody's getting out of here alive, and his lesson will live on. Yeah, and I don't have any. I don't have much more to add. I mean, but I would definitely say that for many years, you know, I kind of got the joke, you know, from people or the teasing, I should say, about being Spock and whatever. Um, but I think that it has really helped me in a lot of ways, especially now on the internet, where you know, or dealing with people. There are a lot of things that you want to say, a lot of things that you think, and it's not that you're not willing to stand up for the right thing. It's just that you get better at choosing your battles wisely. And I think that. Um, you know, in terms of the effect that someone like Spock or a Vulcan would have on society, that's certainly the one that it had on me. So whether that's good or bad or I'm going to end up with an ulcer someday, who can tell? But I think for now it's, it works for me, so I'll leave it at that. Any other closing thoughts from you, Charles? Well, I was going to say he, one other thing that he represented is he represented in his character and in his persona and in his, in his real life a kind of coolness. I mean, he made geekdom cool, even though he wasn't, Obviously, truly, Spock, the science genius, he represented that. So, you know, he, he, he inspired, I think, geek coolness long before that became the standard or the reality. And so he was kind of one of the first forerunners of that, that whole meme. And I think, you know, we should, we should welcome what he's been able to accomplish over the years with that. So, yes, absolutely. But uh, as far okay. as final thoughts, he'll be sure, sorely missed. And thank you, Spock, Leonard Nimoy, for all of your great contributions over the years in all of your characters and your forms, in your videos and uh, photography and just general humanity in terms of everything he's accomplished. Outstanding person. Again, um, thank you for his legacy. Absolutely. So I want to thank you all for tuning in this afternoon and let you know that this broadcast is going to be a podcast shortly here at iTunes, and you can follow us on Facebook at black, backslash STR8 Talk Radio. That's Sam, Tommy, Roger, the number eight in Talk Radio. I've also uh, learned that we have been added to a lot of different um channels in terms of carrying our show. I don't have them right now, but check our web, uh, Facebook page for that or even our uh, website page for that. Don't be a stranger. Let us know what uh, you want to talk about or people you want us to talk about or talk to. So we're going to sign off here, Donya Keating, at about 2.25 p.m. on Thursday, March 5th. A very happy 32nd birthday to my dear niece, Keisha. Hope you're out there having a great day. And we will see you next time. 